Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast of champions. Yes, England got the W at the G and banished 30 years of hurt as Pakistan's World Cup nostalgia trip finally ended in tears. It was Lions versus Tigers in the final, but once again Ben Stokes roared loudest, serving up another gladiatorial performance when England needed it most. They now hold both the 50 over and the T20 World Cups, the first men's side to do so. And if that doesn't make up for the 90s from an England fan perspective, I don't know what does. To discuss Big Ben's star turn at the big dance and everything else besides, I'm joined by the Big Cheese, UK editor Andrew Miller, and two of ESPN Crick Info's smoothest movers, in the sense that they're young enough not to have developed dodgy knees or back knack, Vitushan Ihantaraja and Matt Roller. Good to see you all here in the studio. Um, we were braced, Miller, for two days of weather watch, but in the end, not even the Australia spring could rain on England's parade. No, indeed. It looked like there was like the parting, parting of the Red Sea, wasn't it? There were the two, two bands of weather just passed over the top of the uh, either side of, of the G and they end up with, uh, with glorious weather. Apparently, it was tipping it down on the Monday, the rest day. So uh, um, the gods were smiling. Uh, what, a, what a remarkable turn of events. What a remarkable tournament, actually. It was, it was great fun from start to finish. Now, obviously, the one, the one washout of the G, England, Australia in, in the group stage um, proved crucial for Australia in the end. But... Uh, Besides that minor blip in, in terms of what the weather did to wreck things, um, it, it, it got away with it beautifully and uh, served up some absolute belters in, in the knockouts as well. So uh, it's been great fun. It was indeed. Um, it was never in doubt, of course. Uh, I think, um, Bish, you described Ben Stokes as, as um, England's luxury item before the tournament, but he was kind of essential at the end there. Stokes stones, how big on a scale of... Passing on marbles to Easter Island statues. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I've, I don't know. I'm, I'd never. I'd, well, I didn't think the first thing you'd throw to me was how big are Ben Stokes' balls. Um, but yeah, sizable. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. Sizable in a format where I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you'd have given it more thought. Yeah, sorry, sorry, it's my mistake. Um, do, do you want a diameter? Um, yeah, sizable in a format where he's probably at his weakest, to be honest. I think that was quite impressive. Um, you know, Josh Butler spoke about it um, both in the lead-up to the final and also afterwards about having to give Ben Stokes a role, which is peculiar given where we are at Ben Stokes' career, where he's made all the big decisions around his career himself. Um, from Even the way he took the England captaincy, people wanted him to take it. It was about whether he wanted it. Um, giving up ODI cricket just because that's the way that, you know, things went. The fact that he was, you know, filming a documentary alongside quite an intense period of cricket for for England full stop. He's a man who, you know, moves to the beat of his own drum. And this is probably the first time where he's had to have someone come and, I suppose, refashion him into a, into a functioning cricketer for this particular format. Um, and credit to Joss Butler, I think, because I think a lot of people would have been intimidated to do that, I think their relationship is such that he was probably Joss is one of the few people who can, I suppose, tell him what to do. Not that Stokes is someone who rages against authority within the dressing room per se, because you know even some of the times where he's not necessarily agreed with Joe Root during his tenure, or even O Morgan actually, he's you know bitten the bullet and and just got on with the job. But yeah, it was it was remarkable to see like a different. Truth be told quite a meek version of Ben Stokes that is equally as effective. Someone who, you know, bowls some nibbly seamers in, you know, in, in the easiest overs to bowl in the first and seventh and then comes out and lets other people do the big hitting. Um, scores at a strike rate of 106 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and credit to him because there would be, maybe that's, maybe that's the, um, that's the deal that he struck whereby I will be this version of myself knowing that, Come the big moments, I will have to stand up so I can. I'll play, you know, off Broadway for, for most of it, and then you know, come for the main night. <laughs> yeah, well, he certainly did show up um, when it was needed. Uh, Miller, I'm going to quote you as well. From we talked quite a lot about Ben Stokes uh, before and during this tournament, um, October the seventh. Uh, the fundamental truth of Ben Stokes is he's a huge match player. When he wants to, he generally. When he wants to succeed, he generally finds a way to. Um, Ergo, you have been proven absolutely right. What can I say? I mean, you know, there's a shooting fish in a barrel, really. Ben Stokes will probably have a role to play when things get dicey. I mean, that, that was that was a given. And, and you know, as Vish was saying, 
it it is his weaker format, but those two innings, two innings particularly, the the Sri Lanka game, the forty two not out, and then the fifty, his first fifty in T Twenty internationals, which is again it's incredible to to produce that milestone at that moment. But both of them were were you know templated on on that fifty over final in twenty nineteen. It's a dicey dicey finish. If he gets out, it's all over, and he didn't get out, and it wasn't all over. It was yeah, he's he proved that just the presence of Ben Stokes in a clutch moment was a bonus for England and one that um, that the opponents on both occasions didn't have a didn't have anyone to man mark him in that sense. Um, and again, you know, talk about bowling the easy overs, the first and the seventh, but at the same time, it's. It's easy to assume that because they're easy, you can get taken down. Who's going to take down Ben Stokes in the first over of, 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 a, of a T20 final? You probably back, the, uh, admittedly, bold no, no ball first up. And, Carlos Brathwaite uh, doesn't open. At, at which so. point, at which point, <laughs> admittedly, I think you know, no ball a wide, and uh, and you know, bear in mind the four sixes in his previous appearance in a final, it wasn't so, uh, uh, wasn't looking so hot for his 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 role with the ball there. But then got it together and um, yeah, pulled together. A body of work that um, that got England over the line, as 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 he generally does. Um, Matt, we'll skate over the fact that in the last odd, I think you predicted South Africa as potential <laughs> winners. Um, that didn't go so well. But uh, for England, uh, we talked a lot about the, the best laid plans. Some of them had to be made a bit on the hoof towards the end of the tournament, but it all came together uh, at the right time. Yeah, a lot of the, um, the sort of talk actually from the... Uh, from players towards the end of the tournament was about uh, the importance of adaptability, which is not necessarily something you've associated with England's white ball teams over the past seven years. But I think, you know, twice, both, both of those times where they have become world champions, it has been about digging deep and um, sort of gritty, sometimes ugly, sometimes scrappy innings and wins um, at, at the pointy end of tournaments. Obviously, you know, the, the, there are some clear similarities in between the 2019 50-over World Cup and 2022 T20 World Cup there. So, you know, dominant chasing wins in the semi-final against Australia three years ago and India this time round. But the final, both times, it was not a style of cricket and not a pitch, really, in either case that, that suited exactly how England would want to play um, it, you know, it wasn't a pitch that suited fearless, positive cricket once the the field had spread and the ball had gone a bit soft. So, um, you know, there was a point where, where Brooke and Stokes were um, very much taking it deep in a very old school 50-over um, type way and, and knocking it around at a runner ball with the occasional boundary. But then, um, yeah, sort of found a way to... to um, to, to take down Iftikhar in that sort of crucial mm. um, match changing over once Shaheen had hobbled off and um, that ended up being the crucial thing I think um, much as England have have been sort of hailed for their positivity and the way they've changed the game over the past seven years both times they've actually won the trophy it's been the, the final flourish has been finding a way to win in a difficult circumstance rather than um, you know blitzing for mm. 50 or 20 overs. It's a very um, sort of Cardiff Champions Trophy Pakistan semi-final vibes. Um, in a way, uh, we'll have a quick recap of some of the details of the final. Um, England, of course, winning the toss and choosing uh, to bowl. Uh, throughout Butler's time in charge this summer, they've actually done a lot better batting first, as we've discussed before. But um, bowled very well, did did that part of the job. Restricted Pakistan to 137 for eight. Um Got a little bit ahead of the rate in the power play. Uh, things slowed down, got a bit sticky. Um, Miller, and then possibly the decisive passage of play. Um, Shaheen Afridi, gun Pakistan uh, opening bowler, comes back, tries to bowl the 16th over, having having hurt his knee in the field, taking a catch. Uh, at that point, England need 41 from 30. He bowls one ball, pulls up, leaves the field. Stokes then goes... 6-4 off Iftikhar Ahmed's offspin and uh, the rest almost is history. Bowen chipping in with a few boundaries in the next over and sort of retention dissipates. But, I mean, there's very much a what might have been there. Isn't there just, I mean, I mean, Stokes obviously played the crucial role, but how much more crucial would his role have been if that over hadn't gone the way it had? Because I would imagine that 
Pakistan would have taken it to the the final ball essentially if 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 they'd had if they'd had a, a, the ability to call on all of their seamers bowling absolute rockets. I mean some some of those some of those spells there was a, a, a Nazim wasn't there bowled bowled a bowled an absolute belter of an over to Butler beat him five five times and went for eleven. I mean Butler pulled out an outrageous ramp, but the point is Pakistan were on it like a bonnet in, with the, with the ball and the way that. Uh, Afridi had been bowling and he'd taken nine for 60 in his previous 11 overs, having come back from the knee injury that obviously knocked him out there. Uh, he eased his way back in, I think he won wicket in his first three games, didn't he? And uh, um, didn't look completely at the races and suddenly clicked back into life. If that over had gone for, well, he, even even with bowling 70 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, he was, I think he bowled a dot ball, didn't he? So, well, yeah, I mean, he was 41 of 29. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, if that over had been, you know, maybe taken a wicket, maybe gone for three runs, Suddenly, the equation gets exceptionally dicey, and then you're back into the sort of territory that that uh, Stokes got into right at the death against New Zealand, where you know you're, you're probably needing 15 from the final over, and uh, it's all on that man. Because uh, up to that point as well, he hadn't he hadn't really been he hadn't played many shots in anger, but he'd been beaten a lot as well. The, the bowling was so good that all he could do was just stay stay in essentially. 25 or 30. Well, that that was a, exactly where he was when um, th- there was sort of this Headingley vibe, I thought, to that whole over where it, the first ball he faced off Iftikhar, he clearly had decided that that was the over that had to go and he mm. had to take him down. But if you remember, he'd pretty much given up on that because he'd, he'd chipped it up and it looked like Baba was going to get there a yeah. long off. And that would have suddenly been Stokes 28 off 34, 35, something like that. Um, and England suddenly needing a new batter to come in and hit some boundaries and kind of panicking as to, to what was going to happen for the rest of the game. But um, as seemed to happen at Leeds three years ago, falls just short. Then his the final six of the over goes sort of just tantalizingly keeps him in the game until the last moment, but ends up just clearing him and just clearing the rope. Um, and then when Moen started the following over by hitting Wasm Jr. for consecutive falls, that was that was game over, really. Yeah, that's, uh, that's when you thought that... Uh, they can't mess this one up. Um, Bish Stokes finished with 52 off 49, and uh, Joss Butler joked afterwards that he would drop himself from the test side for batting <laughs> like that. Um, I mean, there are already rumblings of an ODI recall. Uh, he can do what he wants now, I guess. Yeah, now, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose, kind of similarly, you know, he doesn't. It is ODI cricket is his strongest format, um, and. Does he need to play it as much? Probably not. Um, could he chime in for the odd bit here and there? You know, the back end of next season if he wanted to? Yes. Um, you know, Matthew Mott was good on this because he talked about the conversation he had with Stokes. And he's like, yeah, you, no, by all means, retire from it. But he doesn't mean you can't unretire <laughs> yeah. from it. You know, obviously a lot of us will look stupid given the where we fawned over him after that Durham ODI. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, that that is that is a luxury he has, really. Um do you think, I mean, you wouldn't really have to appeal to him too much to be like, look, come back. I suppose the key, the key thing with Stokes was he, he, he made a point of saying when he stood down that the, the jersey deserves better, I think he said. Uh, you know, it was, it was early in Butler's reign as white ball captain. He wanted to be fair to his friend Butler, who needed to try and forge a new team in adversity with, with the speed with which the handover had happened, the fact that England had been losing in white ball cricket that summer. He wanted to be in a position where he could say to his friend and his teammates and the people who who respect him for who he is that look I'm making my decision I don't want you to feel as though you're just a placeholder for me I'm going to come back for the big big daddy moments and you know you know you do all the hard yards and then get boosted out in the key the key run into the final but I think on the evidence we've had in this world cup I don't think there's a single person in in the country who would be entitled to say oh well I've been the person in in possession while Ben Stokes has been swanning around playing test cricket I should be fronting up in in the first first ball in 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 Mumbai, where England play in the World Cup. Absolutely nobody in yeah. anything resembling an England setup would think that you know what my place is worthier than Ben Stokes. I think he he can he can pick and choose, and it's not so much pick and choose because to a degree the itinerary is going to choose for him because. Or you know, next week, well, not even next week, tomorrow, isn't it? Bloody um, <laughs> the bloody white white ball squad starts playing fifty over cricket again. You know, suddenly yeah. fifty over cricket is going to inch back into the mainstream because of what's coming up in ne- next November, and therefore, by definition, 
um, the 20 over international format, obviously IPL is a different matter, but 20 over international format is going to dip away. And therefore, you know, as Mott put it, Stokes knows knows what he needs to do to do his best for England. And the best for England, frankly, is is him being more available in 50 over cricket than, than 20 over cricket. He can find his rests in the moments when uh, they're least relevant. And, and from henceforth, it's it's going to be the other way around for white ball cricket. And, and even if he plays the IPL this year, the schedule lends itself to him having a break next summer and potentially coming back when he wants to because England play, they, they have a white ball tour to Bangladesh in the first half of March. Then he would potentially go to the IPL if he decides to then have an Ashes series. But realistically, you know, we've seen him hardly play in the 100 across its first two seasons. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he skipped it again this year. Then they play bilateral white ball games in September against New Zealand and Ireland, which, he, you know, he might feel he only needs to play three or four of those to, to get himself sort of back up to speed with 50 over cricket. And then potentially seven weeks in India at the end of the year. So even though it is a pretty brutal schedule in terms of what his workload would be, he can realistically miss all of this winter's ODIs and not really miss out on too much. And then, you know, the, the schedule works out quite nicely for him in that he could take August off next summer and then still have a good run up to the World Cup and play enough cricket. So I don't think there's going to be any issue from a scheduling point of view if he decides that that's what he wants to do. And I would be I would be almost more surprised if he's not in the team for the first game of England's World Cup in 2023 in India than if he is, despite the fact he's officially retired from the format. But if you, if you remember as well, when he made that decision to retire from ODI cricket um, in the 2022 summer, it was incredibly impulsive. Bear in mind, he was already left out of the T20 squad because of the rest he supposedly needed. Went into it and, and thought, actually, yeah, I, I do quite want to sack this off. Um, and I, th- I, I thought Mott was really clever bringing it up, you know, the day after he's had this high, this proper redemption from 2016, because... He knows that he's, you know, once he's got another taste for it, he's, he, he's going to want to come back. And I think it'll be a very easy decision. And as Matt said, like, I'd be very surprised if he's not in that first 11 for the, for the start of the World Cup next year. But it's just the, the narrative of, of how it's panned out in the past, past couple of weeks, the, the, the uncertainty about what his role was, and then suddenly making it clear that his role is to be the man when the going gets toughest. I mean, that, 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 that frankly is a given. I mean, the, the, you can't replace that. We were talking about him being number four, but it was actually the man that that was the role he was in the side to play. Um, I, I can't believe Matt's advocating he misses the hundred when clearly it was the hundred that won it, as uh, as you tweeted after the uh, semi-final victory over India uh, inside sixteen point four overs, of course. Um, Stokes, uh, you know, very happy to pass on some of the credit after the game. He talked about um, how it was set up by the bowling. Um, there were more clutch performances than a, a driving instructor's convention. And two of them, Matt, um, Adil Rashid and Sam Curran, two of England's guns. Yeah, which I suppose a, a few, um, probably when they arrived in Australia, would have felt pretty improbable because Rashid, let's not forget, had, had one of his leanest years in T20 internationals this year, right up until midway through this World Cup. He, didn't, he went wickedless in the first three games. You know, he should have had one against... New Zealand when Mo and Ali didn't do much of a solid and dropped an absolute clanger at cover um, but he, he was you know really struggling to make much of an impact really in the middle overs um, so for him to have sort of come through the way he did in those three crunch games really um, you know the way he restricted India for example at the Adelaide Oval in the context of that game going at less than a runner ball was was remarkable really and then um, yeah there was the, obviously the crucial over it felt like in the uh, in Pakistan's innings was immediately after Liam Livingston had been taken down by Shah Massoud. I think his over cost 16 runs um, for Rashid, the very next ball to dismiss Baba just when he was getting set. Um, and then bowl five consecutive dots to poor old Iftikhar, who, who you know, looked like a bit of a fish out of water on that pitch facing a, a bowler of that quality. Um, that really felt like the, the turning point in Pakistan's innings where, where all the, all the um, sort of energy they were building and the partnership that was brewing just completely reversed um, in an instant. And yeah, Sam Curran, just just remarkable, really. He bowled, um, he, he didn't take a wicket for England in their in their home T20 internationals this summer, um, having played five games and, and played as a bowling all-rounder. So then for him to have, um, you know, found this unlikely role as a death bowler, uh, sort of over the course of the Pakistan tour, but then particularly in that warm-up series in Australia, I think I think the first of the two games in Canberra was the one where it really stood out when he when he took out Tim Davis' leg stump, and suddenly everyone woke up to the fact that he was probably going to do it in the World Cup as well. 
Um, but yeah, to have, to have had the success he did, um, it's just remarkable. And yeah, there's an IPL auction that obviously, you know, the new cycle has shifted straight onto mm-hmm. and I think every chance he, um, is a, is a very wealthy man come, uh, December 23. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sam Curran, we should never have doubted that he was, you know, uh, going to come good. Uh, the IPL, he got an IPL deal four years ago, was it, um, on the back of his test, exploits so uh you know those guys know what they're doing yeah the 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 number crunches i suppose it has been in a lot of ways a sort of triumph for england's long-term planning because curran you know it was plucked out of he clearly performed well for surrey he played very young and everything but he didn't by any means have a remarkable record when he first played for england in in test cricket but also in limited overs cricket because he he played a couple of games in 2018 actually which you know he wasn't really in the plans for the 2019 world cup Mm. but that was very much a sort of long-term bet get him involved um he will be good in this format and at various points over the last three years um you know he there was a there was a five-match series in india in march 2021 where he hardly batted or bowled and was very much a spare part in that team um but to have become such an integral player um, you know, he, he, he's he's pretty much achieved the pinnacle of T20 international cricket. He, he was player of the tournament and player of the final. He took three wickets and didn't concede a boundary in four overs in a T20 World Cup final. It's incredible. And to think he's, you know, 24 and probably got another 10 years of um, top level cricket in him at least is, is uh, pretty extraordinary. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it feels like it's been a real triumph for England's long term planning that they've managed to identify him as someone that they should invest a lot of time and energy in. Um, you know, more on uh, talent ID and hunch stuff rather than looking at the raw numbers. Um, Another wind, Redsmith. Well, yeah, you, you could, you could, you could well argue that. Um, and, and of course, you know, Smith was, you know, when he was doing his, uh, when I interviewed him about his book, was sort of keen to highlight his role in the um, decision to promote Joss Butler to open as he would be. But um, you know, he, he was very good towards the back end of the tournament and and you know even though it was a 26 or whatever it was in the final that was a pretty crucial innings given the rate it came at um and I think you know quite a few people have rightly highlighted that that scoop off Nassim Shah in the over where he couldn't lay back on the other balls as sort of um you know distilling England's uh and Butler's approach to T20 cricket and uh the the sort of balancing of of the the way he manages risk um Mm. as he as he describes it himself and uh yeah you know that that to think that a couple of years ago there was a debate about whether Butler should bat four or five you know that sort of thing in the T20 (laughs) team it it feels yeah it feels feels like a seriously long time ago but that was a a hot topic until relatively recently um and yeah it's been Pretty, uh, pretty firmly answered, I think. Yeah, but just going, going back to going back to Curran, though. I mean, I think pretty much every pod since 2018, we've been trying to distill what the, what, what does yeah. Sam Curran bring to the game. He and makes it, things happen. He makes things happen exactly that. But more than that, more than that, I, I, I think it, I think it comes down to he waits for things to happen when it comes to comes to the, comes to his bowling. He is so good at just watching what the batsman's doing and reacting accordingly. And uh, I think the dismissal of Shah Massoud classic example of that Masood did all did all the shimmy shamming dallying out to the leg stump and trying to trying to put him off his put him off his off his stride but not a bit of it he just bowled his absolute best out swinger and off stump so you know what sort it I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna second guess you how are you gonna play this having having shaped shaped a leg and trying to force me to follow you Kept kept on line and end up with his with his flaccid clip to deep mid wicket. I mean, it was a absolutely, you know, he's talking of, talking of um, you know 2018, 2019, of course. His brother uh, Tom Curran was was the man in possession. He he was in the World Cup squad and he was kind of being shaped up as the as the guy maybe who would who would be England's finisher in future. He obviously had that uh, that great. Uh, five for in Perth, didn't he, in that that year? In uh, yeah, that, there was another yeah, and there was another game in New Zealand. I remember this so clearly, where he only Morgan brought him on to bowl in the fortieth over, mm. and he basically bowled five overs on the bounce, yeah. bounce of the death. Because it was like, it was almost like, you know, you're <laughs> you're a lump of coal right now, and I'm going to force you into this diamond. Mm. And you know, Tom Tom Curran's got a lot of good qualities, but. Sam Curran was the one really. Well, exactly, that but, to do the, that. but the point is that it does look as though there's something about the mentality of both the Currans that they they love that pressure, and it, it did look as though Tom Curran thrived on being a death bowler. But Sam as just being a left armer, I suppose, mm. just just gives him a that point of difference is just harder to line him up naturally. Skiddier, that bouncer that we've talked about before, the, the variations that he's got, and as I say, this ability just to just to know his own mind, 
and stick to his mind regardless of what what's going on the far end of the far end of the crease uh it's a remarkable combination and um yeah uh, he makes things happen but yeah he he, he is 24 and he's a, he's a he's a death bowler of the highest order already it's uh, quite quite something something i thought was really interesting actually was was england were obviously really good at the death in this tournament and have historically you know that that obviously last year's world cup was a massive issue for them 2016 obviously in the final but um i remember at the start of the summer it was a bit of a talking point they'd, they'd gone at the death again in the caribbean on that sort of not particularly memorable tour at the end of january um to barbados but i remember asking butler about that the day before his first game as captain and saying you know death bowling's clearly been an issue what what what's the sort of solution to it and he said well as he saw it there were so few sort of elite level death bowlers at the moment in the world and it had become such a difficult task he, he was he I, I can't remember the exact quote but it was something like you know maybe we need to look at that in a different way and say what makes death bowling as a skill easier is it taking more regular wickets through through the rest of the inning so you're bowling to the tail and without wishing to sort of do current down I remember um right at the end of the super 12 stage and I don't know how well this translated into the knockouts but looking at the number of balls he uh, bowled to top six batters it was something like 13 or 14 out of 40 so he was mainly bowl bowling to lower order players and I think that was a massive part of England's success was the fact that they managed to take wickets through the middle phase of games um, and you know that that was sort of Mark Wood a lot of the time in the first few games and then Rashid towards the end of the tournament really helping dry things up and ensured that when Curran was there you know he the one game where he was bowling to set batters Pandya in the semi-final he actually mm. went the distance but against Pakistan he was generally bowling to the lower order and and cleaned up pretty well so I do think that was a, a massive thing to consider as well is that the importance of England having taken regular wickets through the innings um, rather than you know if you have a guy who's on 50 off 30 you could be the death, best death bowler in the world but he's he's set and ready to go um, so yeah I think that was a, a, a massive factor in why England was so good at the death this time um, not just you know obviously Curran was brilliant as well but um, yeah, we give him some credit yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a hugely impressive uh, transformation and not just because he uh, ditched the uh, bleach blonde dye job by the end of the tournament although um, God knows what he's got coming next uh, Matthew Mott's <laughs> going to be dying at some hideous colour for the ODIs Um talk there about sort of the level of planning and, and detail involved um but it, it it came down to a series of must-win games really we, we um last here on the pod um just after the new zealand game sri lanka was that final group game stokes again uh, to the fore uh, anchoring a run chase uh, and and in some senses here perhaps uh, injury and circumstance uh, benefited england because david milan uh, got Got injured in that game, um, ended up you know being uh, out of the, the the rest of the tournament. Uh, Stokes moved up to number three, where you know, some people kind of viewed his more natural position. Um, and in the end, uh, England made changes for, for for you know two huge games, India and Pakistan. Phil Salt didn't do much in the first one, um, and ten off nine balls, I think, in in the final. Um, but uh, perhaps even more significantly, England were without Mark Wood. Um, and in that in that India game, produced their most emphatic performance of the tournament, arguably of, of Butler's reign. Yeah, I, I still, you know, even you just mentioned it there, and I was thinking back to it, and it, I don't know how it was so easy. <laughs> like it, it just cheat mode. It was a little bit. It was just the way that I think Matt wrote about this, didn't he? About um, about how they just. You know, just because it was India, it, maybe it would have been easy to to assume all this, you know, level of control onto them. But they start slow and they try and catch up at the end. So why don't we just slow them down even further? So they've got they've got to do more catching up at the end. Because I think so. You know, generally as a punter, you know, you're it's it's the recency bias, I suppose, of seeing team finish well. I'm like, all right, they've got over par here, and it's. On this, on the team who've just fielded to be like, we know they haven't. Like this might feel like they have, or that they've got a bit of extra at the end, but we know they're still short. It doesn't matter if they've you know cut however many sixes in the last couple of overs. And I, I think that's probably the most impressive thing, the mentality of it. You, so much about England going into the 2019-50 Over World Cup was about having this four-year lead-in and about you know formulating your plans then and there. But evidently, what we know from this team 
this specific team that won the T20 World Cup, is that they only really started planning in Pakistan when they were like, okay, who do we actually have? These are the players we have, right? Woody's coming back from injury. Livingston's coming back from injury. And people like that. Sam Curran, why not? Let's try it. Let's talk to him about it. Let's sit him down. Let's sit, sit Ben Stokes down as soon as we arrive in Australia. And probably that is the best way to do it. Maybe specifically in this format. But I think generally, like, when you get to a World Cup and you have that lead in, bear in mind, I, I don't know about um, you guys here, but I looked at this schedule coming into it and I thought, this is a nonsense. England are going to be knackered by the time they get there. And it couldn't, it couldn't have been further from the truth. They couldn't have been better prepared than when... They got deep into the tournament. They were like, right, well, you know, everyone knows exactly what they, what they, you know, what the aim is to do here. Even someone like David Milan, who you know on paper hasn't had a brilliant tournament at all, but I know it's stupid because more people should do this. But like the willingness to run a three in the <laughs> in the last ball of the innings when you come out there against New Zealand, like, <laughs> yeah, fair play to him. And it sounds like as well, you know, Mark Wood and David Milan were fit, uh, declared themselves fit for the final, and were told that they weren't going to be risks risked and beyond their disappointment they're like yeah we get it yeah you get we get we we're, we're this far why would you want to chance it that's totally fine yeah i mean it's it's weird though just in terms of bookending the journey that england have been on the way they've gone about this t20 world cup is very similar but obviously a different end of the spectrum to 2016 i was i was, I was out there for that that world cup in india and um and they were just on it. They were like a bunch of bunch of backpackers. They were they were they were you know, gap year kids just wandering around. Thinking, oh, this is fun. None of them have been to the IPL. I think Butler had been one season at Mumbai Indians, and Owen Morgan obviously had been been the guru, been to been to pretty much everyone for the past ten years. But pretty much no one else had ever really set foot in India before. And they thought, well, let's just let's just see what happens. Let's have a go. And they had a go, and they got deep, and they they realised, yeah, this is quite fun. We, 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 I think they tapped into a lot of that sort of mindset for this tournament. In in as you say. In a way that they didn't have the exhaustive planning, the exhaustive sense that we're the we're the team to beat for four years leading into the the fifty of a World Cup. It does, you know, it's a, almost a taking taking the psychology on a step. It's like you know we know we're bloody good now, whereas back then they didn't know quite how good they could be. But a lot of the same similar characters. I mean, there are actually more people involved in this final. I lost kind of six or seven, I think, of the twenty sixteen team in this final compared to only four from 2019 yeah. so there's a lot of the similar characters have have been 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 in the similar scenario for that journey and realize that realize from an early early stage after you know obviously had the setback of being hammered by west indies in the opening game of that tournament but bounced back with with a with a, with a series of ever more impressive wins i think they realized that you know what that, that, that this is this is a short short sharp tournament as long as we're in a good mindset everything else can fall into place. I think one of the other things that helped that is the fact that it's in Australia, that it's a post-COVID Australia, and also their families are out there as well. I think people underestimate that a little bit because, you know, it's a great job being an international cricketer and playing for your country and this, that and the other, as, you know, any kind of <laughs> Twitter avi with a couple of flags in their bio and a lot of numbers at the end of their name will tell you. But... I really got a sense that it helped with a number of factors, not least... You know Alex Hales's reintroduction. I think they got to a stage with him, whether it's you know on the golf course or on the nineteenth hole, as they call it. Um, I, I think they they can't, they they were able to remind themselves of what it was like pre you know that bombshell in twenty nineteen, really, and it helped speed up the rehabilitation of that relationship. Bear in mind that the key people who we were worried about weren't in Pakistan with regards to like the friction between. Hales and, and whoever else, or Stokes, namely. Um, and, and I think it, it massively helped. I think everyone was able to, you know, the travel was a bit of a nonsense, obviously. But I think generally people were able to declutter, especially after Ireland. Um, you know, uh, Mike Hussey wrote this piece in Code Sport, I think, um, about how, you know, Butler says after the Ireland defeat, let it hurt. And people let it hurt in their own way. Some people wanted to shout about it. Some people wanted to you know, get it all out in the dressing room, other people wanted to take you away. And I think having people there who can take you out of that bubble, even in your ho own hotel room, is very important. Um, talking of Alex Hales, talking about previous World Cups, I mean, in 2010, England threw together an opening partnership uh, just before the tournament, Michael Lum and um, Craig Kieswetter. They sort of did the same for this tournament, Matt, um, in that they put together Joss Butler and Alex Hales, um, they are already England's 
third highest scoring um, opening partnership in T20 international cricket. 566, uh, f- sorry, 528 runs uh, at 66, 200 stands, including the highest uh, ever partnership for any wicket at a T20 World Cup, um, that opening stand um, against India. Uh, we've talked about lots of things that went well, lots of match winners. <laughs> that really did uh, click for England. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, there was probably a point uh, where... Hales's place might have come under a little bit of scrutiny and a little bit of internal pressure. Just thinking back to after the Ireland game, I don't think he'd really done a huge amount since his recall because he obviously got a 50 in the first game in Pakistan um, where he wasn't sort of that fluent, but ran out a good 50 in the in a run chase. And then since then, it had only scored one other 50, which was against a very much a second string Australia attack in Perth in the in the warm-up. So he, he was going into that uh, the, the New Zealand game with some pretty underwhelming numbers really um so for him to have then delivered as emphatically as he did and sort of i I don't know probably show off how um clever he he has become as a t20 cricketer across the rest of that tournament so i thought he he was really good in the way he took down certain bowlers um you know for example that game against new zealand i remember he, he was pretty watchful against trent bolt early on and then and then clocked that it was time to go when Saudi was into a second over and was like right i can i can take this guy down i back myself here and i think he, he sort of showed that those qualities throughout um the run to the final obviously you know failed in the final but um can happen you can get <laughs> can get an in swing yorker from shaheed uh, shaheen even afridi um but yeah the opening partnership clearly a massive factor i think especially in those um the, the first three of the four must-win games. Um, and yeah, much as it was done on the hoof, it, a little bit like Lum and Keyswetter, as you say, the, the obvious massive difference is that, um, you know, I think Hales, despite having missed three years, is something like England's third highest run scorer ever in T20 internationals. And as you know, he's the leading scorer across the last three big bash seasons. And, it, it, you know, at, at 32, I think he is, has a lot of experience to fall back on um, and has played at, Every single ground in Australia knows how how you know knows knows the sort of intricacies of each different one, um, and yeah, seem like a you know it, it's a tricky thing where you don't want to get too much into the redemption narrative because it wasn't it wasn't like he was dropped because he stopped being able to score runs and then came back and did, um, but it, you know it was a, a pretty impressive return and I think. Um, you know, regardless what sort of perceived defects there might have been in his character and, and whatever the reasons were for him being left out that we do or don't know about. Um, I think the fact that he has gone from, you know, the 2019 final double screening that on his iPad with Wimbledon at home in, in, in Nottingham to um, playing such a massive role in the semi-final and then lifting the trophy. There's there's just obviously, a, a you know, from a personal point of view, I'm sure it's a, a career highlight and something he'll, he'll cherish for the rest of his life. And he, he was very crucial, actually, after that Ireland game, just to, just in terms of the way he took it on. I mean, Butler was Butler talked a good talk after Ireland, obviously, but it took him a little while to, to really cut loose. He, he had a few sort of slightly sketchy knocks, but at the other end... I mean, Hales was just giving it a go from the get-go, which was, I think he got 50, didn't he, against uh, uh, New Zealand and then 47 against um, Sri Lanka. And on both occasions, he was willing just to use his long levers and just go off the bowling, get get England ahead of the rate and, you know, the, the, the way in which Butler, in, in fact, did in the final. The fact that there was someone able, willing and able to get get going allowed England to, to slow up and have, you know, endured some tense times getting over the line, particularly in the Sri Lanka game. But uh, having that experience to know that, you know, my role here is to just have a have a go, have a hack. It's pretty much what Jason Roy uh, has done for a living and probably Phil Salt, had he come in, would have tried to do the same. But the fact that, but, uh, fact that Roy did it to such good effect was proof of uh, the wisdom of trusting in someone who's got 10,000 career runs and um, yeah knew what was required on, on those pitches in particular you know the, another factor that we haven't really touched upon just the the sheer weight of experience of BBL within the England setup I mean ironically BBL versus PSL in the final wasn't the IPL hardly got a look in but but it's um, you know the I, I remember I think we've said it several times on the pod previously that uh, I thought England were deeply unlucky and Morgan in particular was deeply unlucky that the uh, the original itinerary for the World T20 was not Australia in 2020 and then India, India in 2021. I honestly think, you know, hindsight kind of backs it up. England would have had a really good shot of winning back-to-back in 2020 under Morgan and then probably had a handover for Butler in 2021 is, is how it probably would have panned out. As it is, two out of three ain't bad. 
indeed. Um, and well, you, you mentioned the, the experience of the BBL and so on, and, and in a tournament where opening was actually quite tough, and where you know fast bowling uh, um, had its um, had its head. Uh, you know, the fact that Hales and Butler were peeling off runs, and Vish, uh, I think you wrote about kind of but um, Hales taking the uh, uh, taking the attack early, you know, a higher higher strike rate starting off and allowing Butler to ease in. Uh, they dovetailed very well. Um, a word on on Chris Jordan, uh, Vish, who came in. Uh, you spoke to him before the tournament about death bowling. He came in to the side for that semi final. Mark Wood injured and had you know a key part of the side with his extra pace and nine wickets in four games. I think to that point, um, Jordan comes in and then asked to bowl three overs off the reel at the <laughs> yeah. death. Um, and I mean, as you spoke about some of those, but you've got to be quite philosophical about it. Sometimes Hardik Pandya is going to smack you over the deep mid-wicket boundary. But, I mean, he came out uh, looking brilliant from those two games um, in, in particular. I think he's still England's highest uh, T20 uh, I wicket taker. Nicked back ahead of Rashid. Yeah, because Rashid took it, <laughs> didn't he? Uh, well, the, Rashid went level and then Jordan came back and yeah. went back ahead again. And then, obviously, the final went back, you know, established a little bit of daylight as well. Um, yeah, it was remarkable, really. He was... He was quite expensive for the um, the India semi final, and a lot of the same. You know, I think Matt did the story on on him getting the nod. I think the day before the semi final, and uh, Matt and I were talking about the reaction, the quote retweets about, oh, India's game then, India's <laughs> game. Um, it wasn't, but I think it was. Um, it was pretty cool the way he, he came in, and I suppose the well, the, the cool thing was his um, his final really in terms of I think he won. Went at six point seven five or something like that in his four overs. Um, his pace was up as well. He mentioned that um, there was a he had a, a shoulder issue which was wasting away his right bicep, um, which affected his pace. And he had this operation like, a couple of years ago, and it was two years to the day in an ODI. Sorry, in a T twenty against India at Edgbaston in the summer just gone, where he looked up the looked up the speedometer on the um, big screen, and it was quick and he remembered oh yes just about tellies actually it was two years to this day um then he got injured during the uh during the hundred and when i spoke to him at the end of the english season he was you know he, he was quietly confident he'd had his finger spin off because it was a finger injury and he was he was bowling and he was also quite philosophical about the whole thing as well because you know he went he went around the park against new zealand um then comes off the park and subject to all kinds of racist abuse and he's always been quite philosophical about that but I think the last two years and the conversations he's had and the reaction to the conversations he's had has made him a bit more aware of, of all those kind of things and I, and I suppose maybe the kind of people that he is representing um, when he plays for England I think when cricketers talk about blanking out the noise it isn't just the criticisms it's also the I, I suppose the things that you represent and therefore are a bit more profound. And I think if you if you constantly thought about that, if you constantly thought about, you know, who you're representing and how important your success is, then that can weigh you down e even further. And the idea that he comes into a semi-final, bowls three overs at the death and then has to come into a final, essentially cold, given how little cricket he's played in the last, you know, three or four one, months. One, one T20 since, yeah. since the 100. It, it, was, it was remarkable, really. And even like, you know, when he... Um, the, Sky interview him at the end of the game, and before that he's got a glass of wine and he's you know coaxing Morgan into having a glass and comes on screen and you know charms everyone and you know clearly Morgan has great affection for him. And one of the other things I think was really interesting um, was that they were talk. I was talking to him about his his preparation before a game, and he said one of the things he tries not to do is, I suppose be too nervous before a game because he uses up, he, he uses up a bit of energy and in a game he needs so much energy because it's not just the bowling it's the fact that he feels feels in you know uh i suppose he had a specific phrase for it i can't remember it was red something but essentially like he he feels in the hot areas and a lot of times especially in the last 10 overs that is you know um long on to a long on so he's constantly moving um, or he's going to deep mid wicket, and then when he, you know, when he's batting, he's obviously gets a bit of time off, but then he comes in and he's got a swing from the hip, basically. Um, and the idea that Josh Butler takes him into this tournament and says, "Look, you're obviously going to be a sub fielder. 
you're going to be incredibly important to us. There were a couple of catches in the New Zealand game, weren't they, where he was, you know, in those prime positions and probably simple catches, but made all the simpler by the fact that he was taking them. Um, and yeah, like it, the squad management generally was was very good, but it also helps that you've got someone of Jordan's personality who he's got to be one of the easiest people to deal with in terms of people who don't really play all that much because he's always involved and he just seems like he's just such a chilled guy. You need those around. Um, we've talked about Butler, the captain, you know, taking over from Morgan. I think probation is complete now. <laughs> um, the, the, this is this has been, you know. Uh, um, Touching at the start, really, the kind of unprecedented white ball era for England. Where are we, um, Miller, in terms of dynasties? Uh, it's now, I think, five tournaments in a row where England have reached the semi-finals. They've obviously won two of them. Um, how much? How much uh, more silverware is there to come? Do you think? It's a good question. I mean, I had it not been for this victory, I would have felt that 2023 was a long, long way off. I think there will be an awful lot more confidence uh, in amongst the group and also everything we talk about Stokes and the fact that you know the England are able to now to to strut a bit not not that they will not they will not that that will necessarily mean they'll take it take settle into complacency but as we saw from the way in which India in particular froze up in that semi-final they they couldn't trust themselves to to cut loose any sooner than they dared and and then fell in a heap as a consequence England don't have that fear. England, England are in a position now that they can, they can trust that in a, in a, in a dogfight, they'll be able to just have a little bit of that strut, a little bit of that poise that Australia would have brought to crucial moments in their, their era of hegemony and you know turn turn of the two thousands. Uh, West Indies back in the 1970s. I mean, you know, we, all sorts of grand, grand dynasties have been banded around. I think uh, Tim Wigmore was writing about it and got got pelters you'd imagine on 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 Twitter as a consequence. Because you know, bear in mind, India did did have a a, a handy run 20, 20, 2007 to 2013, but that was two very separate teams going on there. That, that was, was just MS Dhoni on yeah. his own yeah. <laughs> winning all the trophies. Yes, indeed. So it's a it, it's a it's a different um it's a different different vibe around this this side now. Um, so yes, we got that coming up. Then there's the the T Twenty defense now coming up in twenty twenty four, twenty team tournament in the USA. That'll that'll be a monster, uh, which again isn't that long away now. And and given that England have achieved a degree of transition with this tournament, they brought in you know twenty four year old star baller in in, in Curran. Uh, you know the, the Butler's going to be what thirty three, thirty four by the time that comes around. He'll still you presume he'd still be in his prime. Imagine. You know, likes of Milan and Jordan are probably you wave farewell to them after this one, probably. But who's to say? It does feel as though England are in a position where they can they can evolve on their own terms now. Whereas in the summer it was all a bit frantic, wasn't it? When when Morgan retired and, and England didn't quite have an identity. They they didn't they, they looked like a bit of a bit of a Morgan light team during those defeats in the summer. Uh, they're very much a Butler team now, um, and um, for that reason, you would imagine that um, they will be able to walk into any given tournament coming up and think, you know what, we're double world champions. Um, we we will look you in the eye and give you our best shot. And if you sort of look at the, the long-term stuff with this team and the fact that they, they have had sustained success, you know, you compare that to, if you think of the great England cricket teams of the past 20 years or so, most of the time that's been, you know, singular moments of success followed by a, a humbling defeat quite soon after. So 2005 Ashes, you have it towards Pakistan after that. Um, the, the the flower team and uh, flower and Strauss team, I suppose, which which reached world number one, then lose to Syed Ajmal and another get, tour and, to Pakistan, or you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sort of, um, that that home series against South Africa as well the following year. Um, the T20, uh, the World T20 team in uh, in in the Caribbean in 2010, I don't think ever really played together again, let alone achieved anything. Whereas, um, you know, for the last seven years, this is this has been a sort of an England team that have gradually evolved and are just so well set up for long-term success. Because even if um, you know this this even if the whole initial generation of um, talented players fall by the wayside and sort of gradually get phased out over the next two three years, it feels like with the level of encouragement that England players have had to go and play T20 leagues in the off season and and develop those those skills and um, play in the way that um, Morgan's team did in the early years of that um, it feels like you know we've obviously had the news in the past couple of days that Will Smead's just signed a white ball only contract and I'm sure he'll he'll be sort of 
um, hammering down the door within the next couple of years um, for England. So it feels like this team is, is very much set up for the long term and for sustained success in a way that previous England teams, it's been one brilliant moment um, that then has been yeah, followed by a disaster. In terms of dynasty as well, I think it's not there yet because of the two upcoming tournaments in the next two years. And I think this is almost a little bit of a... Is there a minimum period for a... Well, no, but, a, but, but like, I don't know if, if we qualify. Can, well, no, but, but like, I don't know if we can say that because there are these two upcoming tournaments because also for, for England's benefit as well, this is a little bit of a... I don't know, it's a little bit of a shortcut to a dynasty, really. Because you could end up with at least one other winner's medal here and say, right, we've won, we've won three over this uh, be four or five-year period. Um, and no other team in history, barring you know maybe Australia women, would have had a schedule where they could say that. And even Australia women, you could take out a couple in the middle and still have you know a big period in there. <laughs> but, you know, that Australian team, that Australian men's team in the, you know, 2000s are you saying if you didn't have a world cup every two years they wouldn't one of those either um so i think like you know obviously this is an incredible white ball team the likes of which we've rarely seen but i think because of the proximity to these two that they've got they've definitely got a nail one whether it's the defense of this one or the defense of the 50 over world cup and then we can say that right okay you've got this this is the dynasty set up then yeah, it is. It is cruel, though, isn't it? How how important trophies are. I mean, it's it's self evident, frankly. But you know, if you, you look at football, say, in you know Liverpool, for example, the, the near miss last season could have been a quadruple, end up with two domestic trophies, fall off a cliff because you lose momentum as, as a consequence of the disappointment. And and inversely, it feels like this this perhaps surprising the speed with which it came together, um, certainly from the summer, but. In hindsight, you know, draw the dots between the various staging posts back to 2016, and you think, yeah, that's, that's no surprise at all. Uh, but the point is, they, they're imbued with a confidence that that probably would have would have dissipated if you know if that Ireland defeat had manifested itself in you know a, a, a sad knockout if Australia had pipped them on run rate, say, and uh, and you know you, you, it's a completely different story. And then then suddenly you're thinking, well, you've got to pull this team apart and bin off all the loose, all the dead wood. Is Butler out of his out of his depth? I mean, it, it, and the fine margins that that go into this, but the, fundamentally, the confidence of being a cock of the walk is something that these guys can now justifiably cock around with it's 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 it's, it's, it's theirs it's theirs to, it's their their gift now to that that wouldn't have been there if if if, if they'd had any sliding doors moments they can strut their stuff uh, one week cock the walk the next a feather duster uh, as for someone someone who grew up following england in the 90s the fact we're talking about trophies plural is <laughs> frankly mind-blowing um Okay, I think our World Cup runneth over. Uh, we've just got time to preview the ODI series. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We will be back for more ahead of England's test tour of Pakistan. The latest news uh, on which is that the first test looks set to be moved uh, from Rawalpindi to Karachi. More of that on the site. Um, and plenty more stocking fillers for the hope calendar. Hotels are refundable. Yeah. And my, uh, and my flight. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope you know where you're going uh, when you do go, Vish. Um, my thanks to the three of you. Uh, and to you all for tuning in, please feel free to rate us on your preferred pod platform and uh, keep up with all the latest on ESPNCrickInfo.com.